Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. I think probably the deepest desire of all the hearts of every parent in this room, that our children truly would praise you and love you and thank you for all that you've done for them. Lord, so I pray that as we open your word today that you will teach us how to put our kids in the best position to say yes to you. In your name we pray, amen. As I was sitting there watching that children's story, which is always I am so grateful for one of the greatest children's story givers in all of Adventism. I'd say everywhere, but I've only been an Adventist, so I can't speak, I can't give you that much credit, Mark, but I'll give you at least Adventism. I counted about 30 kids that were up there. And then this morning as I was going through, our Sabbath schools were quite full. We had over 100 young people from our earliest up through youth. I was thinking about it, that statistics, even within our own Adventist church, show that seven out of 10 of those children that are up here, of those 30 kids that are up here, seven out of 10 of the 100 plus that we had in our Sabbath school, seven out of 10 will leave the church by the time they are in their 20s. And in most cases, not only will they leave church, they'll just leave the whole God thing in general as far as a consistent relationship with him. Seven out of 20. So of those 30 kids up here, I would say, which 21 are we willing to sacrifice? I mean, is it okay if we, if we let your kid go? You know, out of the 100 we have in Sabbath school, which, which 70 are we willing to just say, if they're lost for all eternity, no biggie. Which, which 70? I mean, because that's, that's what's been happening over the last 40 years within our church. And so... Today we want to address that in some way. It strikes at my heart, being the, the father of three, thinking that what my kid could be one of those. So we want to address that in a very tangible way, because I, I want us to think about how can we put our kids in the best position to say yes to Jesus. Remember, we're, one of our, our, our motto, we want to make Jesus better known and better loved. We want to know him better ourselves and love him more ourselves, but we want our kids to know him more and love him more as well. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to address everybody, but we are going to talk in particular somewhat to parents today. Every person, you probably know this, every person is a perfect parent until they have children, right? <laughs> is that true? So that's... Before we have children, we say things like, my kid would never. All right, all right, can we testify to that? Or I will always make sure my kid, after we have children, we wonder, how on earth am I going to do this? Is anyone as bad at this as I am? Take heart, there are no perfect parents. In the Bible even, except for God himself, there is no example of a single parent that is perfect in everything that they did. Even Jesus' own mom left him at the temple. 
You know, and I've thought to myself when I've read that story in my life, how on earth can you leave your kids somewhere? I mean, I just don't, don't understand that. My mom left me somewhere once, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, like, what, a, what an awful mom. She, leaves, she doesn't even remember to pick me up from school. I was like having to dodge the after-school care people at Loma Linda Academy so they didn't send me off to be with the little kids. How could a parent do that? And then just this last Christmas, we went to Eltern House to sing some songs to some of the folk there. We had been in there maybe two or three minutes, probably five, but I don't want you to make you think Christina are that horrible of people. But we were sitting there, and Christina all of a sudden said, where's Levi? And I go, uh. So I ran to the door, and I opened the door of Eltern House, and I could hear my three-year-old son, Daddy! He had gotten his own door open. Don't worry, he had enough oxygen. But he didn't, couldn't get out of the car seat. It was, it was Eltern House. None of those people are interested in having any kids. But Jesus' mom left him overnight. I've never done that. And so at least, I, at, least I have, at least I have that. But here's what I choose to believe. I believe that every parent longs in the depth of their hearts to be a better parent. I believe that every parent longs in the depth of their heart, every parent that knows Jesus, follows Jesus, Every parent in the depths of their heart longs to have their children in a saving relationship with Jesus. They want their kid to grow up and to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to, to stay connected to his body, the church. And I believe scripture shows us how we can improve the odds of this happening. How we can maybe lower the percentages from 70, losing 70% to, to, to getting some, some better odds there. Now remember, folks, we, we need to remember this, that, that even if we do the absolute best job possible, that there's still sometimes that, that children make their choice and they, they want it from God. So this isn't to guilt anybody. But the fact of the matter is, as I look at my own life, and maybe you look at your own, I know that I can do better by the grace of God. I know that I can be a better parent by the grace of God. So we want to talk about, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at, at, at two basic, basic ideas that I believe just these two basic ideas in a parent's mind and a parent's heart uh, can, can shift, can shift the, the, the likelihood of our kids saying yes to Jesus when he comes knocking on the door of their heart. Now, this isn't just a, a sermon, though, for parents. I want to encourage everyone to, to stay engaged because there's some of you that are aunts and uncles that have a great deal of influence in, your, in the children's lives. There's some of you that are grandparents that are basically like parents in many ways. There's some of you that will soon be grandparents, your, your teachers, your Sabbath school teachers, and at the very least, your church members. You know, Hillary Clinton stole the line from someone else, but she once said it takes a village to raise children. And whether you agree with everything she says or nothing that she says, you should at least, the church should at least amen that idea. It truly does take a village. We uh, live out our lives before the kids, and the kids see whether or not we are truly
Christians. So each and every one of us does in some way play a part in the journey of our children. I would even say to those of you who are parents of adult children, that, that even these two shifts in your mindset could help your adult children. I say that uh, um, with confidence and with, with experience in my own life that my dad, as he's grown in his relationship with Jesus, even though I'm 37, almost 38 years old, as he grows in his relationship with Jesus, it helps me in my relationship with Jesus. So outside of your adult children's spouse, more than likely you still are the greatest influence on, on your kids saying yes or no to Jesus. Still, even, even as, a, even as your, your kids are adults. You know, think about it. If you raise your kids and you are very hard and you look back and you say, I wish I wasn't so hard on my kids, and, and now they see in you this, this grace and this love and they say, something's changed in my parents. How will that have an impact on them? Or if they see that, man, you, you didn't care anything about God and now you have a passion for the things of God. Oh, something's changed. You can still be, have an impact on them. So we're gonna talk about the change of thought. The first change of thought that we wanna talk about today, the one we're going to look at today, comes from one of the most important texts in Judaism that Barbara read today in Deuteronomy chapter six. And so if you'll open your Bibles there to the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six beginning in verses one and two, and we have Wi-Fi, you can use your smartphones or your tablets. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse, verses one and two. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to each you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. That your days may be prolonged. Moses is wanting to leave a legacy, to leave a legacy behind. He is coming to the very end of his life. And he, he wants to leave a legacy that will help his children. The legacy that he wants to leave is, a, is one that will help his children walk with God daily. He said you and your sons and your grandsons. Moses, in a way, he is a spiritual parent, but Moses, in a way, is a parent to all of these individuals. And he wants to help all the parents that he is the shepherd of to, to pass on a legacy of knowing God. When you're a parent, as a parent, all I really think about a lot of times is that my kids will know God. But then what happens? You become a grandparent. What do you start thinking about? I want my grandkids to know God. And someday, some of you will become great-grandparents, and you'll start thinking, oh, I hope that they, it just, this is the legacy that, that, that Moses wants to leave. He doesn't just want it to be one generation, but he wants to be, have, it, have it so instilled in them, this, this love for God that, that it'll be passed on from generation to generation. And then verse four of Deuteronomy chapter six, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses here establishes a frame of reference for everything in the people of Israel's life and everything for our life as well. This big idea, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that God is to be supreme in everything. He said, before he talks to them, he says, I want you to pass on this legacy to your children and your grandchildren and, and beyond and to your great-grandchildren. He, he says to them, here's the legacy I want you to pass on, that the Lord our God, the Lord is 
1. This is the frame of reference for all that you do, including your parenting. As parents, we read books about sleep methods. Before Dayton was born, right, we knew that the baby was coming, and we saw all these parents that did a horrible job of getting their kids to sleep through the night. We thought, we will never let our kid out of bed at night. And, uh, and so we read books. You know, everyone's a perfect parent until they are a parent, right? And we read books about parenting and about sleep methods. We, we talk about, Christine and I, we still, we dialogue about, about discipline and, and our roles as parents. We look at our, at our kids' eating habits and we examine their eating habits to make sure they're doing the right things. We put them in, in music lessons and other extracurricular activities so that they'll be well-rounded. We worry about if they are doing their homework or not and we, and we, we stress about these things. But before all of this, before all of this, and before any of this should even become the focus of our parenting, we should find out if everything in our life, in the life of the parent or the guardian, is in the frame and the reference and the context of God being supreme. Verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses here is talking to parents. He said, this is for you so that you can pass it on to your children and your children's children. The very first principle I want you to focus to be good parents, Moses said, is to focus on this idea of loving God. But he doesn't tell them, make sure your kids love God or make sure your grandchildren love God or make sure your nieces or your nephews love God. The thing he says to them, you shall love God. The Lord your God with all your heart. He says it must be personal to you, mom and dad. It must be personal to you, grandma and grandpa. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. A lot of people hope that their kids will grow up to know God, but at their core, if we were honest with ourselves, at our core, we do not completely know and love God ourselves. Our single-minded focus must be God. Not a distant God, not an abstract God, but a very personal God. The first several years of my life and my older sister's life, my dad was awfully strict in his, in his uh, deportment as a parent. And we had a lot of what most would call, you know, the, 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 the fundamental Adventist Christian rules. And I'm not to pick on any of these, but I will describe what I mean by that. You know, as kids... Uh, if we went to the beach on Sabbath, we had to wear long pants so that we would not be tempted to go into the water. Now, once we got to the water, we could roll up our pants just as long as we didn't roll them above what? The knee. Oh, man, you guys know this so well. <laughs> and then inevitably, what would happen? You'd fall in the water, right? And then in our case, we'd get in trouble. We're getting in the water and trying to swim on Sabbath. And uh, then as, a, as I look back, I think to myself, well, then why'd you even take me to the beach on Sabbath? I mean, like, what is, so, so here was our routine. We're going to the beach today. Yay! No shorts. 
Roll up your pants to your knees. You, oh, you got wet. Oh, you're getting a spanking. That's it. Okay. Shouldn't be swimming. So we had a lot of Christian rules, but we didn't have a lot of Christ in our home. And Christ can only be in the home as Christ's love is in the hearts of the parents. You know, Christ's love can only be in this church as Christ's love is in the hearts of the adults. That's the way God established it. And Christ can only be in the heart of a parent if their single-minded focus is on God and doing everything for the glory and for the honor of God. And the love basis that flows out of that, if, if there's no love basis, then rules are just what? Rules. They're just rules. And will, at the end of the day, have very little impact, very little heart change, salvation influencing impact or motivation for your kids unless they know that you yourself are in love with God. Parents in church, you want to influence your kids. You want to influence your kids to salvation, to have salvation, to, 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 to have the, most, the best opportunity to say yes to Jesus when he comes knocking on the door of your kid's heart. The best thing you can do is ask yourself this question. Am I in love with God? Am I in love with God? As the adult, as the parent, am I in love with God? Ask yourself, is he my passion? Is he the highlight of my thoughts? Is he the focus of everything that I do in my life? You want your kids to say yes to Jesus? Then we must say yes to Jesus ourselves. One of the best ways to know the answer to this question, am I in love with God? Not just do I love God or some distant experience with God, but am I in love with God? One of the best ways to know this is to ask yourself, do I love God more than I love my own kids? Is God more important to me than my own kids? It kind of seems like a contradiction, but the truth is, is that the best way to get your kids to love God is for you to love God more than you love them. Because then eventually one day they'll love God more than they love you, and that'll be a good thing. How do I help my child to be saved? In this, in this passage, Moses is setting up the adult population of Israel to understand how to pass their faith on to the next generation and how to have it passed on to the generation after that and the generation after that. Moses establishes that God must be the cornerstone of our identity as parents. He tells them this identity must be founded in a deep, inner, personal love for God. Not just the rules, not just the function of, of being a Christian, but a deep, personal love for God. This love will then affect how we live. This love will then affect how we live. Listen to the words from the pen of John in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we what? Keep his commandments. 2 John chapter 1, 6. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. John 14, verse 15, this is Jesus himself actually speaking. And Jesus even stated, if you love me, keep my what? Commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You see, I'm not, I'm not dissing the rules per se. I'm just saying that, that, that rules are just rules unless they're rooted and unless they come out of a, of a hard experience, a love experience of the parent. 
Deuteronomy chapter six, back to Deuteronomy chapter six and verse six. And these, so, for, so Moses says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, he says in verse six, which I command you today shall be in your heart. They're not simply things that you enforce in your home just to keep order and keep structure and, and say, well, this is the right thing to do as an Adventist. No, they're things that you personally keep in your heart and embrace in your heart. God's teaching, God's directions in life are to be in our hearts as parents before we ever try to instill them into the hearts of our kids. A lot of folks try to instill teachings into the hearts of their kids that they in no way plan to practice themselves. That they in no way plan to practice themselves. But folks, it has to be in your heart, in my heart, or it ultimately has no impact. When we think we can teach our kid one thing and do the opposite, we're mistaken. Science even affirms this idea, that if you think you can do one thing and, and, and do the opposite and that your kids are gonna obey you or, or, or follow your lead, even science says this is foolish. There was, I was driving down a freeway in California and there was this sign, this big billboard on the road that says, all of us must work together to end underage drinking. The ir irony of the sign was that the sponsor of the sign was Anheuser-Busch. We want all of you parents to drink, but we want to end underage drinking. Well, there's a study that, that came out of England. There's a recent study that just came out about that a lot of the health principles are false. But another study that I read that showed that a parent that even just has a glass of wine in front of their children increases the likelihood threefold of their kids becoming binge drinkers prior to the age of 18 or in the college years. Threefold. Just a glass of wine in front of them. In fact, they said, this study said that by the age of three, children can begin to cognitively detect the presence of alcohol in the environment in some way. By the age of three. Just to show you that this isn't some religious conservative study, this study that came out of England, they said, so don't drink any in front of your kids, any in front of your kids, and then they said until they're 15 years old, and then drink with them. I mean, this was, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not affirming this whole study. But my point is, is here, here's science is saying like, look, your kids by the age of three know if there's alcohol present, and if they see you drinking when they're kids, the likelihood of them drinking when they get older is gonna rapidly increase. It's foolish for us to think. It's foolish for us to think that we can tell our kids to do something and then do the exact opposite and expect them in their life to affirm that principle. Why am I picking on drinking? Because it's easy and there's a lot of studies out there. But it could be anything in life. It could be anything in this world. I knew some folk back out here in the east when I was pastoring down, down south. They were extremely strict with their son on diet. I mean, they were, they were extremely strict with their son on diet. At Pollock's, he wasn't allowed to have any cheese or any dessert or any juice. He always had the most depressing potluck plate I ever saw and my heart hurt for the kid. He never was allowed to have meat. His parents were absolutely dead set that he will never eat meat. They even told us this. If you see my kid with meat, you make sure you tell us. Okay, okay. 
The dad worked with Pathfinders, which is like Boy Scouts, for those of you who may not be familiar with that. And I remember they stopped once, and, uh, and some parents came and talked to me about this, but they stopped once, and a couple kids got hamburgers. And they were walking back to the car with these hamburgers, and the, he said, listen, we're not going to eat meat in front of, we're not going to eat meat, and we're not going to eat meat in front of my kid. You go and you throw those away. So it was very strict about this. I mean, this guy and his wife were, 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 were health gurus extraordinaire, only they weren't. One day I walk into a Moe's restaurant. You know what Moe's is, the burrito place? Now believe me, I'm not condemning them for eating at Moe's because I was at Moe's too. I love me some Moe's, it's good. The Art Vandalay, man, it's a big old veggie burrito. I've dragged Jay's, Pastor Jason there a couple times. He's like, man, I feel my arteries clogging as I eat this. I'm like, I know, isn't it great? And uh, so I'm not knocking them for eating at Moe's. What I'm knocking is, 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 is what I'm gonna tell you. So I see them, I see the mom there. The mom's there with her son. She waves at me. I say, oh, good to see you. She waves me over. Come over here. I come over to, 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 to sit with them. And, and I sit down and I look. And, and I look at the son's meal. And he has this, this burrito that I didn't even know they could make a burrito like this at, at Moe's. I mean, it was, it was so tiny and, and so sad looking. <laughs> I think at a tear. It's just beans and rice and a little salsa that he got to dip it in. And then he had a small cup of water. And then I looked across the table at his mom's. And she had this burrito with steak pouring out of it. And she had a 44-ounce soda. And she drank it while we were there, and she filled it back up before she left. I mean, this, this burrito is called the home wrecker. I'll let you figure out why. It's called the home wrecker. Now, here's what I thought to myself. Do you think that at some point this kid will ask the question, mom and dad tell me that I can't eat this way because this is what is best and God only wants what's best for me. Do you think he'll one day ask the question, but they eat whatever they want, so does it really actually what matter? Exactly. Does it really actually matter? Y'all, how, how we live our lives will have more impact on our kids than what we teach them or what we say to them. How we live our lives. Church members, how you live, the conversations you have, how you interact with the members within this church will have more impact on the kids of this church than, than the songs we sing or the, or the sermons that the pastor preaches. The people will have a greater impact. It's just the way it is. And our kids actually, as they observe us, even if we say no, 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 as they observe us, they're thinking, yes, someday, yes, someday, yes, someday, if we're doing the opposite. 1985, I was seven years old in 1985. If that makes some of you feel old, I apologize. I was 1985, I was seven years old, and I'd gone to bed, but I couldn't sleep, and I heard the TV going out in the, in the living room, and, and so I snuck to my door. You know, we had a rule. You don't get out of bed once you've gone to bed. So I snuck to my door, and I laid down in the doorway, and I opened the door just enough so that I could get a view of the TV. And I was there, and I was laying on the floor, and I was watching the TV and, and watching this movie that my dad was watching. And, uh, and, and I must have become so enthralled in it because I remember laying there on the floor, you know, with my hands under my chin, just watching this, and all of a sudden, this shadow just, 
I don't know what it is, the sixth sense we have as parents, you know, they just know that something's not right. And, and I was so enthralled in this movie, and all of a sudden this shadow just like passes over me. And I look up into the almost six foot three large frame of my father. He said, you were supposed to be in bed. And he took me in my room, and I got a spanking. Now, I'm sure that the spanking was because I was out of bed and I wasn't supposed to be. But in my mind, all I could think about was, what is he watching that I can't watch? Well, I found out. And so for the next many years, all I would think about is, I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie that my dad was watching. And so one day, when I was able to rent movies for myself, I went and I got the movie that I had been craving to see for years because my dad had been watching it and I couldn't watch it. And I watched the movie Splash. <laughs> with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. And for those of you that are better than all the rest of us and haven't warped your mind with this stuff, it was a movie about a mermaid who gets legs and she comes to the comes up on dry land and she falls in love with this man and this man falls in love with her and then at the end of the movie, he's able to live forever underwater with her. For like 15 years, I've been craving to see this stupid movie. <laughs> I won't lie, it's probably like 10 years I've been craving it. I'm sure I was about 16 years old when I rented that movie. The first time I could drive to that movie store, I'm getting that movie right there, Splash. I wanna know what that movie was all about that my dad wouldn't let me watch. For years I wanted to see Splash, all because when I was seven, I was laying on a floor. My dad was watching. I couldn't. I got in trouble. And now I want to know what that was about. Now I want to know what that was about. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, four through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You see what Moses has done? Before he says anything to the parents about how they should instruct their kids, before he says anything about how they should teach their kids or what schools they should send their kids to, before he tells them, you need to make sure your kids knows this and knows this and knows this, the Lord, through Moses, helps us to understand that all that we espouse, Jesus, salvation, holy living, all of it must be personal to us if it's going to have any impact upon our kids. It must be personal to us if it's going to have any impact upon our children. I'm not saying perfect. Look, we're still going to struggle. We're still growing in our relationship. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, the only perfect parent is a parent that doesn't have kids, so not a parent. But I believe if we as parents made the one simple decision to make God our personal identity, if we made the decision to truly love God ourselves personally, and we were to allow that love to change the way we live our lives, we were to allow that love to, to change the way we live our lives, not just publicly before those who may judge us, but privately before our kids as well. If we allowed that love to change the way we live our lives, I believe we would see a dramatic dis difference in our parenting, in our families, 
And I believe our kids would be in a better position to say yes to Jesus when he comes knocking on the door of their heart. Our kids and the kids of this church have a front row seat to our lives. Our kids and the kids of this church have a front row seat to our lives. Which of those 30, how many of those, which 21 are we willing to say, we don't care what you see, you're gonna be lost, and we're willing to let it be? Which one of those? Which one of these high school kids that are over here that watch us, that observe us during worship? Are we, are we enjoying worship? Are we a part of worship? Are we enthusiastic about being here? Which one of these high school kids are, we gonna, are they gonna see are we gonna say, you know what, 70% of you, we're okay with you going. Because you watch us and worship doesn't look any fun to us. Which one of these, which one of these kids? Which one of them? How many, what 70% are we willing to say, you are not worth us recognizing that we personally need to love Jesus more. We need to love Jesus more. So the question is, is what are our kids watching in our personal lives, in our schools, and in our home, and in our church? Do our children have a front row seat to the grace and the goodness and the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ? Or do they have a front row seat to rules without true substance and true life change? Do our children see parents that, that personally know Jesus or parents that have a, a little knowledge of Jesus, enough knowledge to be dangerous for them and for others. Y'all, I believe every parent in here wants to be the best parent possible. And I believe all of us struggle. And every parent in here wants to see their children saved or their grandchildren or nieces or nephews. I believe we can help in that journey. We can change those odds. We can decrease that 70% not by starting with baby whisper or baby wise or, or have a new kid by Friday or have a new husband by Friday. There's another book like that too. Not by learning the latest discipline model or, or, or asking every other parent what they do. Our children have the best chance of being saved and of personally knowing Jesus. If you, if me, the moms and the dads know Jesus ourselves, and are in love with Jesus with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our strength. If you personally are saved, then your child will have a greater chance of saying yes to Jesus. So I wanna invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time. So we ponder this question, what are our kids seeing? What are our kids observing? And for parents, maybe grandparents in there, if you're a guardian of a kid, this might be for you as well. Parents come in all forms and shapes and sizes and ages and connections in this day and age. My response to today's sermon, they're on the back. Jesus changed my heart and saved me so that my child or my children have the best opportunity for salvation. Jesus changed my heart, saved me so that my child or my children have the best opportunity for salvation. Maybe you're a teacher in here and you need to pray that prayer for yourselves as well. The next one is, Jesus, get rid of all the habits of my life that would lead my children away from you. Look, folks, 
we, we see things differently. I understand that. I was joking on meat, and some of you say, well, is there, you know, I eat meat, and does that mean I, look, I'm not, I'm not making decisions on those things. What I'm, what I'm telling you is that we have arbitrary rules for our kids that we don't live by, and we need to examine that. And then there's rules that we should be enforcing in our lives as well that we're enforcing in our kids' lives, and we should be living by those. So Jesus, get rid of all the habits of my life that would lead my children away from you. That will lead my children away from you. For all of us, this is for all the church family, I will live the example of Jesus so that any children who see me will observe a true follower of Jesus. So these young people that are in this room right now, if they see you from week to week at church, they'll say, man, that person loves Jesus. And guess what? You can tell. Kids can tell. When I was a kid, I knew who the people were that were really excited about being at church, and I knew the people who didn't really want to be there at church. You can tell. And the next one, I will pray for all the parents and children in our church so that none are lost due to us. I will pray for all the parents and children of our church. As a parent of three young small boys, and some of you have gone through this journey before me, I covet your prayers with all of my heart because I know that I fall on a daily basis. So I need your prayers that God will help me to to do better, to walk better. And I'm sure the other parents in here would agree as well. We have a number of people that, that are pregnant and they're looking forward to their first kid. I wanna say to you, please make sure your heart is committed to Jesus Christ. So the moment that baby comes out, that's your passion, first passion is Jesus and all that will be poured into that child. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your, for your graciousness, for your love, for your blessings over us. God, you are the perfect parent over all of us, and we thank you for that. Lord, we know that we are imperfect. But Lord, we pray that you'll give us hearts that are sold out for you, Jesus, in every way, shape, and form. Lord, and I know that as we surrender our lives to you, that our parenting will grow and improve. And so help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.